welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. Live and in the flesh. We're together. We're together. We're not on Zoom this week. I can I can reach out and, and pat your shoulder. You and... really can. <laughs> she got tested. Don't worry. Yes, we both are. We're, we both are very careful. And yeah. I got tested before I came here. So I, I got tested, tested every week. Yeah, and... and I'm now a fully vaccinated lady. Yeah, and we're gonna go and get tested again tomorrow. Yes, we're getting tested so again tomorrow. We're right. being very careful and doing everything we need to do. We're only seeing each other. Like yes, this yes. We've been it, staying yeah. in an Airbnb. It's just the two of us. So don't think that we like went and threw a rager. We did not. Um, we were very cautious mm-hmm. when planning this. Yes. Um, but it's such a gift to be together. I know I get to see your beautiful face in person. And I get to see you drink seltzer again. <laughs> <laughs> she just took a sip of seltzer. Sarah um, gathered the groceries. I did. For it was an event. This event and she got me so much seltzer. So I decided, I was like, oh, I have a coupon for Box. So I'll order from Box because yeah. there are things that we always eat a lot of yeah. or drink a lot of. So I ordered, she, knew, she knows me. She I knows ordered her. Tostitos because yeah. I was like, we eat so many Tostitos. Yeah. Like, that'll be great. And so I was like, okay, I'll get seltzer. So I got a 24 pack of seltzer and I got myself a 24 pack of Coke Zero, which I will never drink. <laughs> well, you can bring it home with you. Yes. And we and if you don't finish the seltzer, you can take it with you. But um, <laughs> Jane walked in and it's like in the room when you first married me and I was like this is the drink selection <laughs> you knew I was coming yeah I was prepared I was prepared a seltzer was a must how are you otherwise Jane uh, I'm good I'm very happy to be here uh I, I I started a new job did it for one week and now I'm on vacation so Love that. Um, <laughs> taking it easy yeah I'm gonna be so rested you are you're gonna be like I'll teach you anything oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good. How about you, Sarah? I feel very good. This was a good week. Like I said, I got my second vaccination, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Um, so I'm now fully vaccinated. And it's interesting because they're already starting to change the laws for people that mm-hmm. are vaccinated. And I'm wondering if um, I watched the movie Contagion recently. And in mm-hmm. that movie, when the people get vaccinated, they get like a wristband that says, yes, I've been vaccinated. Oh, okay. And I'm wondering if they're going to start a process of that. Where, like, mm, you can do this only if you're vaccinated. Or, like, if you are vaccinated, you don't have to do X, Y, Z, and this yeah. is how you prove it, or something like that. I was thinking about that. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like, well, I'm vaccinated now, so I shouldn't have to get tested. I don't have that attitude whatsoever. Um, I'm happy yeah. to get tested as much as possible. Yeah, same. Um, because you, I can still... I have been vaccinated, but yeah. I can still get the coronavirus. It is possible. Yeah. Just what, it, what a vaccination means right now in my immunity is that if I get it, my symptoms won't be as bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a few weeks, it means I have like 95% immunity. So there's still Mm -hmm. a chance. But it is already interesting to see the things that are rolling out. Like New York just changed the law that if you are fully vaccinated and you get exposed to a person with coronavirus, you no longer have to quarantine, um, which is very, very different. Um, than it was even a month ago when we yeah. started getting vaccinated in New York. So we'll see how it goes. I'm excited about it. Yeah. How did you feel the day after you got it? Were you Did you feel any symptoms? I did. So the first, I've heard that you get bad symptoms after one of the two shots, but it oh. changes for each person. Okay. Most people I know felt worse after the second shot. I, the first shot, my arm felt sore like it does, like mm-hmm. you get any other vaccination. Yep. Um, and then the second shot, my arm was really sore and it started that day. And I got my shot in the evening and by, I got my shot at 3.30 oh, okay. and by 7 o'clock I could feel it. Where That didn't happen with the first shot. I saw a headline recently that scientists were saying that the, like if you feel badly after you get a vaccine or you feel more symptoms immediately after receiving any vaccine... Um, even though you might be feeling uncomfortable in the moment, like it's actually a sign that your vaccine is working really hard for you and that it's oh, like long term, it's actually a good sign. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because the second shot, the first, so that first night, I already felt sore. The mm-hmm. next morning, I woke up and I slept. I rolled over in my sleep to sleep on the side that I'd gotten the shot. And that part of my body was like numb because it was mm. so sore. So it really hurt to move that whole part of my body. And that was in the morning, and then I drove here that day, yeah. and I was fine for most of the day. My arm just really hurt. Turning the steering wheel, I was like, ow. <laughs> Every time. But then, that night, I felt very dizzy, and I had a headache, and I've heard nausea is very common, and that was just over 24 hours after I got the shot. I definitely felt very different. 
I felt lightheaded and queasy. I like I, for dinner that night I had like some Cheez-Its and like a ginger ale and that was really it. And I called it a day. And then the second day I felt totally fine. I was still a little sore in the morning, but then it went away. So I would say like, yes, you absolutely are going to experience symptoms, but is it something that you should be afraid of? No, it's yeah. not anything that would really inhibit you at least for me I, it wouldn't it didn't inhibit me from accomplishing anything that day like I still drove over three hours that day yeah I do know people who had worse symptoms I know people that took off work um because they felt very nauseous mm-hmm. so I would say if if you've gotten a vaccine before like say you've gotten the flu shot and you've noticed the next day you don't feel so good I would say that maybe get the shot on a day where you don't have work the next day or a day where you can take off um, or get it early in the morning so that the symptoms come in when you're not at yeah. work, you know. And even, like, I, I do know some people who experience very mild symptoms and who experience it worse. But speaking as somebody who has lost somebody to COVID, like, mm-hmm. I think long-term... A day of feeling not no, so yeah. great is like so much better than yeah. the, the way the worse risk of getting scenario. the risks of getting coronavirus. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And most of the people I know that have had worse symptoms are older, like mm-hmm. people our age that are young and relatively healthy. Like I, I really don't think it's going to cause you any problems. Yeah. Um, I would say the worst thing that I've heard about is for my friends that have um, severe phobias of needles or just mm-hmm. like phobias of of doctors which is a totally real thing and I know multiple people that have gone through that that is totally like that's a totally valid reason to be nervous and be yeah. afraid and all of the medical workers that I have met both times I got my shot were so nice and so helpful and very communicative and you know they're really there to support you and they're really there to help you yeah so it's okay to like vocalize that, you know, you don't have to like act tough or whatever. And you can, at least in New York, you can bring a person with you. I saw mm-hmm. many people go with a second person. Like an emotional support person. Exactly. Yeah. Especially like I drove myself to and from and I was totally fine, but they do mm-hmm. monitor you for 15 minutes afterwards. Mm-hmm. And if you are a person who normally feels nauseous after getting a shot or normally doesn't feel well, like definitely go with the person, regardless if you're driving or not, even if you're taking yeah. public transportation, just to be extra safe. But yeah, that was my vaccination process. I've been I've been very open about it and what it was like not because I'm trying to like brag but because I do know there are people that feel anxious about it or unsure about it and I want to be very open about the fact that I do think you should get it I don't think that it is necessary to wait because the trials happened and nothing Mm -hmm. um nobody who got a trial vaccination if they did get COVID none of them were hospitalized Mm -hmm. um there have been no severe side effects and there's a lot of false information out there about vaccines and what they are absolutely absolutely and if you feel nervous you know do your own research don't just trust what you see on Facebook um go to the CDC website go you know read some things that come from medical people about what the vaccine is and what it is supposed to do. And also keep in mind that a vaccine, it's not you get the shot and the next day you're immune. Mm -hmm. Um, You still have a responsibility to be careful and wear a mask and continue with the health and safety protocols that your state has put into place, even with your vaccination. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we still need, we need about 70% of the population to be vaccinated before (gasps) Um, it could be considered yeah. safe for us to. Well, I'm hoping to we get were. it soon. Yeah, I work in the school, so hopefully Maine will um, make it available for teachers soon. soon. Yeah, I know it's weird because every state is kind of doing it in a different order. Yeah. Like teachers were really, really high on the list in New York, um, but I know Florida, 65 and up, was first. So, which makes sense for. Yeah, that's what that, it, I think. That's what it is in that population. Like, so that does my, also make yeah, sense. My father's been now is about to get his second vaccine. Oh, that's good. He's seventy. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Joe Biden just like secured two hundred million doses of the vaccination. So nice. I love this tweet that I saw that was like Joe Biden. I'm not watching the impeachment trial. Um, okay. Joe Biden two weeks later <laughs> when he secured two hundred million doses of the vaccine. Oh, maybe he really wasn't watching the trial. He was busy. <laughs> he really was busy. So. Thank you, President Biden. Yeah. That was a good step. Should we... Jump on in? Jump on in? Sure. Jump on it. Jump on it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you asked me about Venus and Serena Williams. I did. Yeah. Happy Black History Month. Yeah. My school was talking about um, 
black people who mm-hmm. are alive right now that we could talk about that our students might know and might inspire yeah. them. And Serena and Venus Williams yeah. came up. So I was like, I want to know more about them. Yeah. Yeah. Gabby Douglas, too. Like, when you said that, I thought of that. Which we talked about earlier. Scratch Do you mean me. Simone Biles? Because we talked about Simone Biles earlier. Gabby yes. Douglas is also a gymnast. Yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking. Gabby Douglas is, like, kind of canceled. So we can talk about Simone Oh, no, Biles. no, no. no. <laughs> yes, Simone <laughs> Biles is who I was thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. about. Yes, my bad. But Absolute icon. Yeah. No, yeah. I saw a fact about Simone Biles on Facebook the other day that was, like, the... Uh, judges for the like Olympic Olympic gymnasts had to change the rules and outlaw certain moves because only Simone Biles, Biles could, could do, do them, them. safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, okay, girl. It's like crazy. Like she's completely changed gymnastics. Yeah, like the sport itself. She's incredible. She's an icon. But we're here to talk about Venus and Serena, who you don't even need to like say their last name. Like, yeah, you, you know who we're talking about. Yeah. So they are. I'm assuming most everybody knows this, but they're two professional American tennis players. Venus is the older sister by like a year and a half. Um, She is a seven-time Grand Slam title winner, and Serena is a 23-time Grand Slam title winner. That's absolutely insane. I know. That's so many times. I think that's the cool thing about tennis is that you're able to play it for a really long time, whereas like gymnasts really only qualify for like two Olympic times, you know? But tennis, it happens every year. Yeah. You gotta... It's pretty cool. And, I mean, they have so many titles and awards. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't even... I'm not even going to list them all because it literally would take forever. Like, their Wikipedia page, each of them have their own Wikipedia page and it's relatively long, but they have, a, like, a page for, about their lives and then a page individually. For and then they both have, like, a page for all their accomplishments. It's very long. Yeah. They have won many awards and titles and trophies. Uh, their parents, Richard Williams and Orsine Brady Price, are both their tennis coaches uh, for their daughters. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and additionally to the Grand Slam titles I was talking about before, together as doubles, they're 14, 14 time Grand Slam winners. Wow. So, yeah. Together and apart, they're rocking it. I didn't know that they played as doubles. That's very cool. Yep. Uh, their father, Richard, is more technically their coach in that. He played tennis beforehand, and he knew more about tennis mm-hmm. uh, before coaching them. Uh, but their mother learned tennis in order to help teach them when they were little kids and is sort of considered an unsung hero to their tennis career because she, you know, made their lives appropriate and conducive for them to grow as tennis players yeah. and people and yeah. women. Um, their father said that he watched tennis player Virginia Ruzici on television and decided his future daughters would be tennis professionals. Oh. hmm He says he wrote a 78-page plan for their success and started giving them tennis lessons when they were four years old. Wow. And babies. Which, fun fact, they had... It, I think at least ten other siblings. Um, oh, my God. I know. Um... I can't find the exact number. I've looked at several different websites. They all said something different. According to Wikipedia, they have three older maternal half-sisters uh-huh. and, quote, at least seven paternal half-siblings. <gasps> so, that doing so the math... So, parents haven't been together always because they have yes. a lot of half-siblings. Okay. Yes. Um, but they are the only two... Like, Tavina Serena is her only full-blooded mm-hmm. sister. Right. Um, they both have the same mother Yes, and but I kept seeing different, like, one website said there are eight kids total, like, including all the half-siblings. One said ten, one said nine. I could not get the same right. number consistently. One said seven. I was like, what? <sighs> what? How, <laughs> How many, many are there? How many are there? <laughs> Their parents began taking them to public tennis courts at the at when Venus was seven years old. Their father has said that he started teaching them tennis at four years old, but he wishes now that he had waited a year or two just to mm. kind of give them a couple more years of a childhood, which they still, I think, had more of a childhood than other kids who were, like, raised to be professional tennis players because their parents were very good advocates for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, their parents began taking them to public tennis courts, and at age seven, Venus Talent was spotted by a local tennis player named Tony Chesta, and he identified her as a potential player to watch. Again, this seven-year-old kid. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Like, look out for her. It is insane how early scouting for um, professional sports yeah. starts. It's very early. Yeah. 
Especially for girls. Yeah. When Venus was 10 years old, their family moved from Linwood, California to Compton, California, so the girls could attend Rick Matchy's Tennis Academy. Rick Matchy noticed the talent of both of the sisters really quickly, and he began providing additional uh, coaching and individual coaching for them. Matchy and their father, Richard Williams, though, frequently disagreed about how to coach the girls. Mm. And Matchy was quoted as saying that their father, quote, treated his daughters like kids and allowed them to be little girls. Uh, which they which were. Which they were, yeah. They were literally nine and ten years old. Yeah, like, they're literal children. Let them be kids. But their father wanted to give them more of a a balanced life Mm. and put more focus on academic education. But Matchy wanted them to have a more intense, strictly tennis lifestyle, Mm -hmm. which that would the two of them butted heads on that for a while. So after about a year of them being in this tennis academy and participating in national junior tennis tournaments, their father decided to stop sending them to the tournaments mm-hmm. uh, because he believed that the tournaments were taking up so much of their life and he wanted them to have a more balanced and slower tra- tennis training as they were growing up. He also said that at the tournaments, he heard a bunch of other parents at the events making racist remarks towards the kids and mm. he was trying to protect them from that for a little bit more time yeah. since they were so young. Yeah, that's really... At the time, though, Venus was 63-0 and 0 as on the U.S. Tennis Association Junior Tour. Oh. Yeah. And was ranked number one among the under 12 players in Southern California. Wow. A few years later, Richard, their coach, their dad, decided to pull them out of the academy entirely and took over as their full-time coach. Mm. Both were successful very young and had tournament success very early on in their careers. Like, they were winning right off the get-go. They were, they're both well known for having very powerful strokes and strength in their playing as well as precision and tactical strategy and like really nice footwork and technique and all that and all those things. So they sort of combine like the power and the skill. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have you seen that meme that I feel like I see a lot that kind of points out though how they're just like how they're kind of forgotten as these amazing athletes as they are Mm -hmm. that the meme is a moment where uh, tennis player Andy Murray was being interviewed and the reporter asked them so you're the first person to ever win two Olympic tennis gold medals that's an extraordinary feat isn't it and Andy Murray responds um I think Venus and Serena have won about four each yeah yeah so that just is an example of how they're not really given the attention and due that they have earned from all of their success. Yeah. They are also, they've also recently, particularly Serena, have sparked a lot of discussion about their treatment by officials Mm. when they get emotional when they're playing. Specifically, like, I'm thinking about the 2017 incident. Uh, Serena was penalized because she was getting coaching signals uh, which she wasn't, she didn't ask for them at all. Just, I, I think her father began like giving, like signaling her for specific things. And she was getting penalized for that. And then she broke her tennis racket, which uh, she was docked points for. And then in a fight with the chair umpire, she called him a thief. Mm. And they docked a game from mm-hmm. her, from the tournament. And she's been very vocal about the double standards that she faces as opposed to men, mm-hmm. um, male athletes specifically, about yeah. how passionate and aggressive behaviors are considered disrespectful when women do them. Um, but they're, like, powerful and outspoken when men do it. There's a very famous tennis player who was known for being, like, hot-headed. Yeah. That was, like, his... I remember this coming up yeah. this year, that year, um, mm-hmm. When Serena was was being very criticized yeah. by sports media yeah. for her behavior. Yeah. Um, and then someone brought up that this tennis player, I don't remember his name. It's not Roger Federer. That's was like it the, Rafael Nadal? I think so. Maybe. Those, those are the two that I know. <laughs> I, I don't think it was an American. That was kind of like a trademark for him. Yeah. And then when Serena did it, she was labeled as this aggressive black woman. Yeah, exactly. Um. And I remember that being a big topic of discussion. And it's true. Women are mm-hmm. absolutely treated that way. Like, nobody talks about 
um, Serena in the way that they talk about Roger Federer, you know, like these other huge tennis players. Mm -hmm. They talk about her temperament, her attitude, how she looked. Because that was the same year that she wore the... That she the, wore. like tutu. Yeah, I think it was the same referee that year who docked her because of her outfits, and then the next year she wore a tutu, which is ridiculous. Why does it matter? What Why she's does it wearing? matter? Exactly, it's her game. Yeah, it's what she has to do in order to feel comfortable, feel comfortable and powerful playing and her sport. Play, yeah. Exactly. What does it matter? Yeah. It, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billie Jean King also tweeted, when a woman is emotional, she's hysterical, mm-hmm. and she's penalized for it. When a man does the same, he's outspoken, and there are no repercussions. Thank you, Serena Williams, for calling out this double standard. Uh, more voices are needed to do the same. Billie Jean King also was vocal about the fact that Serena shouldn't have been penalized for the fact that her coach was signaling her because she didn't ask for that and she shouldn't be docked points for something she wasn't doing. Yeah. Um, and I agreed that's unfair. Um, one of the other big pieces about this story that I think needs to be touched on is the fact that in this match, uh, Serena faced 20-year-old Naomi Osaka. I was who, about to ask if yeah. you were going to bring up Osaka. Yeah. yeah. Who, uh, because of all this, she was the winner. Mm-hmm. And... I saw it because I was like, you know, following the story very closely. I watched her on the news the next morning being interviewed and you could tell she felt very uncomfortable. Like, yeah, like she wasn't super like, like she was like, I'm excited to win. But like anytime they asked her about Serena, she was like, like uncomfortable talking about it. But she was so young. Um, But it it was just a tough situation for her because when she accepted the trophy, she was greeted by a lot of boos from the crowd and she was crying. Right. Like, the whole situation was really tough. That day, like, while it was happening, Serena was, like, very angry at the ump, but she made an effort to go up to Naomi and mm-hmm. kind of be like, good job, I'm proud of you. Right. Um, and she told her that she shouldn't feel negatively about having won. Right. Um, and later, Serena felt like she hadn't fully apologized, and she kind of felt like, there was a disservice being done to Naomi Osaka. So she wrote her this letter, which was published along with an essay that Serena wrote in Harper's Bazaar. Mm -hmm. And this is the note portion of it. She said, not only was a game taken from me, but a defining triumphant moment was taken from another player. Something she should remember as one of the happiest memories in her long and successful career. My heart broke. As I said on the court, I am proud of you and I am truly sorry. I thought I was doing the right thing in sticking up for myself, but I had no idea that the media would pit us against each other. I would love the chance I would love the chance to live that moment over again. I am, was, and will always be happy for you and supportive of you. I would never ever want the light to shine away from another female, specifically another black female athlete. I can't wait for your future, and believe me, I will always be watching as a big fan. I wish you only success today and in the future. Once again, I am so proud of you. All my love and your fans, Serena. Osaka said that when she received this letter, she cried, which I I understand. And she sent a reply, which part of it said, People can misunderstand anger for strength because they can't differentiate the two. No one has stood up for themselves the way you have, and you need to continue trailblazing. Mm. So not only... Oh, well, first I'm going to say Williams also feels that all of this is, it was just sort of a rough moment for feminism mm-hmm. in the sports world because that was a day that should have been about celebrating a female athlete of color, right. regardless of who won. Like it could have been about celebrating Serena, it could have been about celebrating Naomi. Right. Um, but, but, oh, but what it ended up being about was this backlash a black female athlete was facing because of her emotions. Right. And that was overall not a great situation so overall i think there are two lessons to be learned here one is the huge double standard that female athletes in particular black female athletes face but also lessons about women supporting each other and lifting each other up and knowing that like naomi osaka was not the enemy there and it's wonderful that serena and her were able to like come together at the end of it yeah and lift each other up This is not the only controversial situation that the Williams sisters have been involved in. One of the more blatantly racist situations that they had to deal with was in 2001 at the Indian Wells Masters Tournament. Venus and Serena were supposed to play each other in a semifinal match, but four minutes beforehand, Venus withdrew. 
I couldn't find an exact reason online, although a couple things alluded to the fact that it was most likely an injury. Mm -hmm. We just don't really know the details. Um, maybe she was just feeling sick that day. I don't know. Uh, but she withdraw, which made Serena the automatic winner. Yeah. And there was this rumor going around at the time that Venus and Serena's coach and father, Richard Williams, would, whenever the two sisters would play each other, would choose who would win beforehand uh, for betting purposes or for media attention or to help them get to the top of the leaderboard, strategizing, whatever the reason the rumor was just that he was rigging their matches whenever oh, they faced each other. Interesting. Um, which was untrue. But Venus withdrawing from a match against her sister made the crowd really believe that this is what the Williams family was doing. So when Venus and Richard entered the stadium the next day to watch Serena play the, the next match, um, they were greeted with horrendous booing and racial slurs were shouted at them. That's terrible. And it was just horrible. And then Serena came out to play, and throughout her entire match, the audience was just, like, throwing racial slurs at her and being horrible. And it, it, which didn't stop Serena from winning. She still won. Oh, good for her. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, God. Yeah. But in her autobiography that she wrote in 2009, Serena made note that the audience was an older, mostly male audience and very largely white crowd, mm. and they were in Palm Springs, and... She said that normally tennis crowds are pretty calm. Yeah. In particular, Palm Springs tennis crowds are, like, older and so quiet. Right. She said that, so it was, like, such a stark contrast to hear them being so loud and so vocal. And uh, she noted that the racist booing was not coming from a particular section in the crowd or group of people, but rather it was the entire crowd. Yeah. They were all just screaming at her. So the sisters were really disappointed in the tournament for failing to even try to calm the crowd and for totally playing dumb when they complained later about racial slurs being involved. So they boycotted that tournament for 14 years after that. Wow. And many have criticized them. I read this one article that was so condescending, basically being like, yeah, that situation was bad, but you shouldn't be punishing the tennis tournament for it because like they didn't do anything wrong and they have since invited you back and really want you to come back and are extending an invitation and you're just being rude for turning your nose up at it and yada 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 but at the same time this tennis tournament has totally not believed them right at the fact that that racial slurs were said they were like we didn't hear they did nothing to Uh, protect them from that happening again And they've never taken accountability. They've never even acknowledged what the Williams family experienced. Right. Um, Eventually, they did return. They were going to have a rematch, which actually Venus ended up withdrawing again, this time because of a knee injury. Right. Uh, But Serena has played there since. But it was just a really unfortunate situation. And, like, it's so disgusting that... They did nothing. Such to a large again. group of white people felt comfortable. Yeah. Uh, screaming at a black family. Yeah. And, that, <sighs> and like, it's on film. There are films of it. And like, like the you, tennis yeah. tournament, that the association could have issued a statement saying like we like not that like the reason that they were using the like, racial slurs was unfounded. Yeah. That there was no cheating or rigging yeah. or anything like that. They could have done something to support them. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. In that way, and then they chose not to. I completely understand why they were like, no, I will not return. Yeah. And it was just so frustrating. The one article I read, it was so frustrating because it started off in their favor. It was like, no one can deny what happened was racist. This was horrible, yada, yada. And then it just totally like switched sides. It's like, but they should like, just But they should it. get over it and return because they're doing a disservice to the sport of tennis and making it harder for women of color to, like they, f- oh, and they, other people were criticizing them because they were saying after the whole thing happened, people were like, okay, I need you to tell us exactly what was said to you that was racist. And they were kind of, not tight-lipped about it, but they just, like, didn't really answer. They were like, I don't know, like, people yelled the N-word at us a lot. Like, right. And they were like, well, can you give us specific examples of, like, who and what was said? And they didn't really answer. Because um, they were playing tennis. <laughs> they were in the middle of the game. Yeah. So, and people were like, well, if the Williams family refuses to be specific about what happened and who said what then we're unable to provide consequences and therefore they're doing a disservice to 
other black people because they're not holding the people who are racist accountable. That's completely but that's, absurd. it's like not on them to do that. No, like, it's not. That's so absurd. I like I the fact that the tennis stadium didn't even be like can the audience calm down? Like right. They could have they didn't do the bare minimum. Right. They could have stopped the game and said yeah. we will not continue until this ends. Yeah. And then at the, the fact, very yeah. least. Yeah. So the fact that the Williams family was like considered the villain and all that because it's they're it is it, ridiculous. It is. It's completely ridiculous. Um, but as I said, they're two amazing tennis players, and um, I I actually I don't I didn't know as much about Venus as I did about Serena, mainly because of all this stuff um, from 2017 mm-hmm. that I learned about her. But um, Serena is. One other thing that's often talked about her is that she's now a mother, mm-hmm. and she had a very difficult pregnancy, mm-hmm. and she did a, an amazing job of talking about her birth experience and how, yeah. like, as a mother of color giving birth, like, it affected her greatly. Yeah. And the treatment she got. She said she had a very traumatic birth experience. All these things. Like, she's become a real vocal, um, outspoken what's the word that I'm activist activist yeah for feminism and fighting for people of color like she's right. just an amazing as is venus yeah miss serena just heard more about um but so not only are they amazing tennis players who should like go down in history yeah as titans of their sports right uh regardless of the fact that they're women like, I feel like people... Not even as, like... I feel like people put them down as, like, yeah, well, they're really good amongst the women. Like, no, they're amazing. amazing. Yeah. That's, like, how... That's in an interview at the 2016 Olympics. Simone Biles was interviewed, and they said, how does it feel to be the next Michael Phelps? And she was like, I don't want to be the next Michael Phelps. I want to be the first Simone Biles. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Don't stop comparing her to somebody else. Yeah. They do different sports and completely different things. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they're just amazing people that we can look up to, not only as athletes, but as just people. And I think part of it is that they were raised by parents who really cared about their upbringing and really, like, like knew the race, like, knew what the racism they were experiencing was early on and Mm -hmm. prepared them for it. And, Mm um, yeah, they're just awesome. I don't know what else to say. That's really all I have, but they're, they're amazing people. Cool. Well, are we ready to move on? Sure. So, our dear listeners, we're going to bring you into our little vacation in our cabin. And I'm going to play trivia with Sarah. Aww. I love trivia. For our middle segment. Okay. <laughs> this first card has two that you would love. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll say the first one and then I'll tell you what the other one is about. Um, Alright, this is a film question. Who wrote and directed the 2014 comedy... Uh, the Grand Budapest oh, Wes Hotel, Anderson. What's the which other starred one? Ray Fiennes. The other one is Officer Judy Hopps is the main character in what 2016 animated film? Z- Zootopia. Is this made for children? I don't know. <laughs> Although Grand Budapest Hotel is in a, ch- is in a children's movie. Wait, where are the answers? Are they at the bottom? Is that the in the bottom left corner? Like of the box? Oh, no, I, they're right here. I don't, mm. the, the answer to this next question um, just seemed too short, mm. so I thought it must have been. So here's my second question. <clears throat> what was the subtitle of the first film in the Hobbit trilogy? An Unexpected Journey. Yes. See, I was reading that as like, I, my brain thought it was, when the movie starts, if you put on closed captioning, what's the first subtitle? <laughs> Like, um, I don't know, hello Gandalf or like some <laughs> No, the beginning is a is a narration yeah. um of um uh, Smaug coming or no Smaug yeah. comes later. It's the narration of um um the Arkenstone mm-hmm. and all that. Because it's all like... about it's all about Thorin, and that's the part that ends with my favorite line in any Lord of the Rings Hobbit movie ever, which is and I never forgave. And he never forgot. And he smashes the the anvil with the hot sword. Oh, it's so good. So good. (laughs) I don't know why it gets me every time. Mm -hmm. See, most people are like in the Lord of the Rings world, Middle Earth, they're all like Aragorn, which I get. I totally get. We love Aragorn. (laughs) 
I am a Thorin Oakenshield lady. Ooh, Thorin can get it. He can absolutely get it. I do not care that he's like literally four feet tall. Like, uh, he can get it. <laughs> he can get it. I feel like this is the obvious choice, but like the hot dwarf is Keely. Oh like, yeah, no, <laughs> Keely is also and Feely. Like they're both. Oh hot. yeah, they're both hot. But like <laughs> Keely was just like they were like this dwarf is hot now. Like there was no reason for it. Well, he's also the youngest. Mm-hmm. He's not even considered a man. I'm gonna give you this next question because I love how it's worded. Okay. How many offspring, some adopted, do the fictional canine couple Pungo and Perdita have? Oh, 101. <laughs> I love, though, that they point out that some are adopted. Yeah, because so many people think Pongo and Bernita just birthed 101 dummies. Yeah, no, she has, what, 12? No, she has six. Yeah. A small number. Pom, yeah. pepper, patches, you know, a handful. A handful, yeah. It's like six. Yeah. I'm picturing the scene where they're, yeah. like, counting. Like, six puppies? Okay, this next question will make Sarah laugh. Um... Only because, and I'll explain why it's funny in a minute. What were the names of the two regular hecklers on The Muppet Show? Oh, <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> the other night we were on a Zoom call doing a Palentine's Day party yeah. with friends of ours. And Sarah and I, I didn't think other people were noticing, but kept muting to like chat. <laughs> maybe gossip about things. And, and our friends pointed out I that- hadn't seen Jane in person in eight months. Like, I had so many things we that I was like, did you about. notice? And we didn't want to interrupt or, like, right. disturb the other people right. or cut off conversations. But our friends were like, said <laughs> Jane and Sarah are Sadler and Waldorf. They're just in their little box, like, laughing about things that we don't know about. Yeah. Probably making fun of us. We weren't making fun of them. <laughs> no, we were It was just they would say something yeah. and then it would make me think of something else. And I would be, I would pause it and be like, Jane, did you hear? But I, and like I, and then we were having our own conversation. Yeah. It was like a whole thing. And but, now our friends will not stop calling us Statler and Waldorf. They changed our names in the group chat to Statler and Waldorf. I'm Statler and yeah. Jane's Waldorf. Yes. I would just like to say that 99% of the time we're Bert and Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, what is the only U.S. state to have just one syllable in its name? Maine. Yeah. <laughs> Are you singing the song in your mind? No, I don't know the song. Oh, I always use it. I was just going through short ones, and then I was I had a moment of being astounded that Ohio and Iowa are both multiple syllables. <laughs> oh, this is an interesting fact. Which of the four main compass points is not used in the name of any states in the United States? East. Yeah. Oh, you got this. The Liberty Bell, an iconic symbol of the of American independence, is located in which U.S. state? Philadelphia. It's literally in Pennsylvania, so <laughs> specifically in Philadelphia. Who is known as the world's greatest escape artist and one of the most famous magicians in history. We oh, t- Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini. <gasps> which was the only one of Henry VIII's wives who did not share her first name with another wife? I'm going to have to sing the whole song. Hold <laughs> on. It's the third one. I know it's the third one. Yeah, I can't think of what her name is. I'm not sexy. My lipstick's red. Uh, Jane Seymour. Yeah. Jane. I was literally about to point to myself. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Jane. In 2004, which U.S. state became the first one to sanction gay marriage? The first one? Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know this. Which member of the royal family was photographed wearing a swastika armband at a party in 2005? Uh, Prince William? Prince Charles? Prince Philip? No, I don't know. Prince Harry? Prince Harry? (gasps) Harry! You're in trouble, Harry. Yeah, Harry's in trouble. That's not okay. Oh, this is interesting. How many astronauts have walked on the moon in total? 12. How'd you know that? <laughs> I learned that at one point. Maybe when we covered the moon landing conspiracy. It's just in my head. <gasps> oh, you would love this one. Well, I will when you read it to me. In 1982, uh-huh. Disney opened their futuristic Epcot Park. Mm-hmm. What does Epcot stand for? Oh, I've known this. I've learned this before. I don't know why I never thought to ask this. X. It's um X, X. Explore. 
I know I've right read. first three letters. <laughs> Exp- ex- <laughs> Expo? No. no. <laughs> Experiment? Yes. Experimental. Yes. Experimental um <laughs> placement. I don't know. No. Experimental uh is the are the last two of time. No. That is the O though. Of yeah. of You've got two of the five letters. Okay. Um Exploration. No, experimental. No. Experimental. Experimental. Um They're, it's not easy to <laughs> Think of. No, and I'm, I know I've heard this before, and now I can't remember what it okay. is. Okay, just well, tell me. the second word I'll just tell you: okay. experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Of tomorrow, <laughs> I should have remembered tomorrow at the very least, because that was this whole thing. Because that's like all the ads. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. The future of tomorrow is today, or something like yeah. that. That's like their whole thing. And I was going to end on that one, but now I'm looking at this and I just can't believe it. In which year did France perform its last ex- execution by the guillotine? Oh, it's like 1993 or something like that. There's three options. 1957, 1967, or 1977. 1977. Yeah, that's yeah. so recent. I was so late than everyone else thinks. Jeez Louise. Which, like, who did they execute? <laughs> and why? Like, what did he do? Because at that point, we had the ability to do electroshock and lethal injection so like what did he do that made him that they were like it's the guillotine the last person to be guillotined was convicted murderer hamida john Duby. i've never heard of them maybe we can do an episode on them and why they got the guillotine I, the, the idea of the guillotine kind of makes my skin crawl, but also that's interesting. That's a good idea. We'll talk about it sometime. Not him specifically, because I don't know what his, how interesting his story might be, but. Just like talking about the guillotine. The guillotine. Yeah. And its history. Why, we, who invented it? Why did we stop using it? Why did it take us so long? Yeah. Robespierre's How humane thing. is yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot went, a lot went down in France with the guillotine. History.com. Shush. An ad popped up. Hush, hush. We're recording. Hush, um, hush. Okay. Well, thank you for giving me some trivia. I love trivia. And yeah. that really related back to some of our episodes. Yeah. Which was fun. So, you asked me to talk about mermaids and mermaid lore. Oh, I'm so excited. So, I did. So, mermaids in popular culture now are often portrayed as beautiful, but in most traditional folk tales, legends, and stories, they were seen as soulless, evil temptresses. <gasps> Yeah. I kind of like that for them. Me too. Like, it's like, I, like, I want to be on their behalf. I want to be like, no, don't, don't make them about this. Like, they're here to get revenge on men, you know? Like, <laughs> that's their vibe, and I <laughs> want them to have that vibe. <laughs> Which, okay, this is going to be a sidebar, but I need to bring it up. I saw a TikTok that maybe you sent to me, maybe somebody else sent to me, that just, like, re-reminded me that we are not telling Medusa's story right, and I would like mm-hmm. to, like, put it out there, that Medusa um, was not... Was not actually cursed with her gift um, because she had consensual sex with Poseidon. So the story mm-hmm. that most people hear is that Athena cursed Medusa with um, snake hair and the um, turning men to stone because uh, um, Medusa, who was a priestess of Athena, betrayed her by um, having sex with Poseidon. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually what happened in the original in the original myth in the real story, quote unquote real. Um, Poseidon raped yeah. Medusa to get revenge on Athena because they did not get along. And Medusa was one of the mm. high priestesses of Athena's temple. And because by Parthenine, by Parthenian law, yeah. Athena had to punish Medusa for breaking her um, celibacy vows as a high priestess. She had to do a lot of punishment. But mm. it was actually a gift that Athena bestowed upon her to turn men to stone because it would stop her would, from being yes. raped again. That is why Medusa turns men to stone. It was a gift from Athena to protect her from um, being hurt by men again. So Medusa was not an evil woman who, like, wronged Athena. Um, she was very loyal to Athena, and yeah. she was very wronged. And I just would like to bring that up. Um, yeah, In terms of, like, cool. telling people's stories correctly. 
Um, mermaids uh, were uh, like were around to like get revenge on sailors. This was like their thing. Get them um, in many across many cultures. There are variations though, which I will talk about. But that was a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. C.J.S. Thompson, who is the former curator at the Royal College of Surgeons of England, um, he wrote the book The Mystery and Lore of Monsters. Says that, and he says that myth about merfolk have existed for thousands of years. The Babylonian deity Era was a fish god, and she was depicted as having, or sorry, he was depicted as having a bearded head with a crown on the body of a man, and a fish's tail from the waist down. Nice. And this, like, picture of him was passed on to become um, the Greek god Triton and the Roman god Neptune. Nice. And that's why we picture them like that. It probably descended from Era of the Babylonians myths. Pliny the Elder, who wrote natural history and was used as um, a key artifact in um, understanding Greek and Roman uh, Roman um, mythology. I've definitely heard that name. We've talked about him before. Yeah. And we've talked about Pliny the Young, too, in a different episode. I forget exactly which. I'll look it up. He wrote in natural history of Nereids, who were nymph sea goddesses. And they were very common in Roman myth. In Greek myth, the Nereids are called Naiads, and for reference, Achilles' mother is a Naiad. So Achilles oh. was half sea god. Um, and so they certainly, the because we know this about Achilles, that indicates that the Greeks had appreciation and respect for the sea gods, because the greatest hero, or one of them in Greek myth, mm-hmm. is a descendant of them. So it shows that they had respect for them. Um, and they were just, like, some, like, pretty sirens off to the side, you yep. know. The earliest mermaid, um, uh, in terms of depiction, is likely the ancient Syrian goddess Atargatis. She watched over the fertility of her people. She's really big in um, the Assyrian Empire. And... Atargatis transformed herself into a mermaid out of shame of killing her human lover. So she chose to become a half-fish person and kind of, like, cursed herself. It was like a curse she put on herself. Um, She banned herself to the sea. I'm trying to decide if I would want to do that or not. You would not. No. No, no, no. I... I, It was a curse. I would... (laughs) (laughs) She, like, said it was a curse. It's a curse. But, like, I don't know, I whenever I read, like, mermaid books as a kid, I was, just, I was always like, that sounds so dope, just swimming. I love swimming. I love being in the water, depending on the water. <laughs> right. I love just floating around. So well, I, I would I would maybe enjoy that, but I feel like I'd get lonely. Yeah. Well, she cursed herself to the sea. Okay. Um, in Hinduism. Oh, curse yourself. Sorry. In Hinduism and Candomblé, which is an Afro-Brazilian religion, worship they worship mermaid goddess goddesses today to mm-hmm. this day. Um, now, obviously, at least it seems obvious to me, mermaid legends are more common in countries that are surrounded by water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, Korea is bound on three sides by the sea, and in some waterside villages, there are odd stories about mermaids. In Ao Yadam, which is an unofficial history book of Korea. It's kind of like passed down tales. Mm-hmm. Um, it is said that Kim Don Ryong, who was a mayor in one of these villages, saved four captured mermaids from a fisherman. <gasps> That's a passed down tale. On Dongabake Island of Busan, there's a legend of Princess Huang Ok, who was a mythical mermaid from an undersea kingdom of mermaids who came and visited them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that like this very water surrounded country in their like unofficial histories is like, yeah, there were mermaids, whatever. Like that makes sense. Um, merfolk are also prevalent in Chinese mythology from as early as the fourth century BC. In folklore, mermaids were often associated with um, misfortune and death. Um, in Japan, a ningyo is a fish with a human female head resting on the body. So instead of it being like down to the torso, it's just the head. The photo, it's like just like a a print, but it is absolutely terrifying. Um, One is said to have been captured and it had a pair of golden horns, a red belly, three eyes on each side of its torso, and a carp-like tail end. Isn't that terrifying? Uh, That really scared me. 
Don't like that. It is also said that she required 450 rifles to take down. <gasps> so she was like a... A strong... Yeah, so she was like a thing of fear. She was like um, Gustav. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, in Southeast Asia, the myth of Sovanamaka is common. She is a mermaid princess who tries to spoil Hanuman. Hanuman is a Hindu god. Um, and she tries to spoil his plans to build a bridge to Lanka. And Lanka is this island fortress that is um, described in Hinduism. Um, but instead, she falls in love with him. So this is an early example of um, mermaids mm-hmm. breaking away from this. Like, they bring misfortune and death and bring the, like, we should rescue them because mm-hmm. they might fall in love with us. Sort mm-hmm. of um, but one of the most famous portrayals of mermaids as um, a sort of a sign of misfortune and death comes from the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And in this, Odysseus um, is told that he will pass a group of sirens and he orders himself tied to the mast of a ship to avoid the sirens calls and his crew plugs their ears with wax to safely pass um but they sing their beautiful song and they try to coax him off but yeah. then when they get close they like swallow them up or bring or drag them to the, yeah. of the ocean depending on the translation you read um that's the most famous depiction yeah. of mermaids um as you know menacing creatures but that depiction that 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 idea of them is more common than them as like lovely creatures across mm. almost all cultures. My high school, our mascot, while I was there, it was the red-tailed hawks. But up until like the '90s, it was the sirens. Mm. But because it was an all-girls high school, they thought that was sexist and changed mm. it. I, but we still had a lot of like merch and memorabilia around that had like the sirens on it mm-hmm. and i kind of think that's badass like i think if we'd kept it the same as like depending on how it was marketed and yeah i mean like i don't know <laughs> and framed i mean like i love that like these women are just like, i'm gonna eat men like <laughs> i do kind of love that for them um but i do i do also see what they mean mm-hmm. of course han christian hans christian anderson's tale the little mermaid is very popular and there are other legends from cultures that detail the marriage or courtship of mermaids and humans. For example, the South Asian myth between Hanuman and um, Sovanamaka. The portrayal of mermaids in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Ties is actually a pretty accurate description of mermaids' attitudes and general demeanor and looks in most myths. Um, particularly the scene where, like, they're swimming underwater and they get really close and they're, like, trying to be, like, seductive and then all of a sudden they get really menacing. That's, like, very... (laughs) That's very much how they were depicted across all cultures, Mm -hmm. really. Um, Mermaids have very often been an object of fear, particularly for sailors, um, and have a reputation of seducing sailors and then drowning them. Mm -hmm. So there was always kind of a warning tale to stay away from them, not go. They weren't they weren't creatures that you went looking for. I feel like now it's like let's go look for mermaids, but back then they were like we need to stay far away from the sirens, you know. That was like a it was a warning. Mami Wada is an African water spirit who is said to steal men from their homes, force them to become her lovers and kill those who displease her. Which like nice. Don't love the forcing people to be your lovers. Kill men that displease Kill men that displease us. We could maybe do that. Yeah, I understand. I understand the um, the inkling to do it. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. The urge. The, I get the motive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Rasalka are Russian spirits of young women who died violent deaths, normally by drowning, and then will appear as spirits in the water, which I'm shocked there's not a horror movie about this. That would be a good horror movie. They would. They lure men and young children to their deaths in the water. Like It's like a cross between like yeah. the Hocus Pocus witches and a mermaid. I love it. Yeah. I think it's really cool. The Blue Men of the Minch were a Scottish legend, which of course they would have a weird name like that. (laughs) They were a group of mermen who would stop you, demand riddles or jokes, and if they didn't like them, they'd rip you to pieces. Isn't that a very, very Scottish legend? It like cracks me up. These riddles three. Yeah. Olaus Magnus, who was a 16th century writer and cartographer, obsessively cataloged monsters of the sea around Scandinavia. That was like his whole thing. He was like, I'm going to go find monsters. You're doing great with these names. I'm really doing my best. (laughs) Um, He wrote that if a fisherman managed to capture merfolk, he should, quote, let them go, or such a cruel tempest will arise and such a horrid lamentation of that sort of men comes with it and of some other monsters joining in with them that you would think the sky should fall. Two so, things. Yeah, let him go. Two, 
love the word lamentation. Oh, it's a great word. <laughs> it's a great word. And I love this imagery mm. he's pulled up here. So essentially, he was like, if you capture a mermaid, you will be cursed. Um, so another reason why there was a lot of fear was there was mm. this idea that mermaids could like curse the sea. A lot in Greek culture, they were literally children of Poseidon. So of course that they would like incur the wrath of the gods yeah. should you mess with them. So they have this very like don't mess with me vibe to them. Yeah. Which I respect. Leave people alone. In 1430 in the Netherlands, there is a rumor that a group of girls in Adam uh, rowing around in a boat found a mermaid foundering in shallow, muddy waters. It is said that they brought her home and she lived with them for the remainder of her life, although she was speechless. Um, but they did convert her to Catholicism. Multiple <laughs> websites reported that they're like, they found a mermaid and she became a Catholic. I was like, <laughs> I thought, I was with them at first. I was like, great. I love that the story where women find her, it's like, let's give her a home. But then... yeah, apparently they like taught her skills yeah. so she could like make, it's like, she, not only she became married, but she did convert to Catholicism. Wow. Way to strip her of her culture. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was about. I was like, this is like a terrible aquamarine. <laughs> um, in the mid-16th century, the French naturalist Guillaume Rondelet, I love that name, great name, supposedly got his hands on two specimens of the sea bearing a striking resemblance to a pair of religious types, monks and bishops. He literally was like, I found mermen and one's a monk and one's a bishop. <laughs> and here's how I know. And the drawings that I saw, I will say. Fish priests. They did look like fish priests. It was like they had fish bodies, but the way that their gills and such were aligned and their, like, faces, I was like, that does look like a monk. (laughs) And I could look at it because it wasn't a picture. It was just a drawing so I could handle it. But I was like, that is weird that he found them. Um, So he did a little sketch of them. um, And he wrote, the face was human, but coarse and clownish, the head smooth and without hair. A sort of hood resembling that of a monk covered the shoulders. Um, while its lower part in a spreading tail. And the bishop fish was yet more wonderful, being clad by the nature in the garb of a bishop. Oh. So Guillaume took the two of them to the king of Poland. I'm not sure why. I think he was near Poland when this happened, mm-hmm. which we know about them and their uh, politics. And there are many, <laughs> many kings. Uh, like, the chances of it being um, mm-hmm. Vatislav is, like, very high. <laughs> you know, one of them. So Rocklov, whatever. It probably was one of them. Um, and he was ordered by the king of Poland to set them free. I don't know if it was, like, a superstitious thing or if he was like, those are ugly, get them out of here. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he was like, no, you have to set them free. And so there's no lasting evidence of these weird fish um, people. But this guy's like, I found a monk and a bishop. Mm-hmm. They have religion down there, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> was this whole thing. Um, around this time, actually, in the mid-16th century, um, sightings of mermaids were common. This is probably because this is when the Europeans really started exploring the oceans and started yeah. um, claiming land that wasn't theirs. Uh, John Smith claimed to have caught sight of a mermaid off of Newfoundland in his journey to North America. Um, he said, quote, her long green hair imparted to her an original character that was by no means unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> of course he'd be like... yeah. Ooh, female thing. She's for me. Like she's for me. True. Christopher Columbus took a break from murdering people to yeah. chase a mermaid around the Dominican Republic briefly. No way. His like admiral was like, I saw a mermaid, and so they like spent a day. He was like, All right, we'll take port. We'll veer off. See if we can find it. Um, All that man was doing was chasing things he wasn't supposed to be doing. He was looking for India, doing a terrible job. No, no. He did nothing he was supposed to do and then messed everything up for a lot of people. In reality, it is now accepted that his admiral had spotted a manatee. Um, <laughs> or it wasn't exactly a manatee. They're called a stellar sea cow was the, mm-hmm. was the animal. Um, stellar. And Europeans actually drove the stellar sea cow extinct. They were, <gasps> they were 33 feet long. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And 20 times heavier than a manatee. They're of the same family, though. And it is now widely accepted that most of the mermaid sightings were these sea cows mm-hmm. or manatees because they do have very, like, mm-hmm. human-like faces and their tails far away. And they're like, you have to imagine that when you're out at sea for, like, years and years and years on end and you're just, like, desperate to see a beautiful woman. <laughs> like, it was, like, their whole thing. So they were like, yeah, that was a mermaid. But they, like, literally were just seeing things. It's just manatee tails. Yeah. Just flopping around. Um, and that was good enough for them. Seals are mer dogs. Tell me I'm wrong. 
Did you see? I recently saw this thing that was like the first man to taxidermy a walrus had never seen a walrus before. <gasps> so he didn't know that they had wrinkles. So there's a taxidermy walrus that's like super smooth. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I saw a picture of it. I was like, that looks weird. <laughs> it does not look right. You gotta look it up. It was very odd. By the 1800s, hoaxers turned out fake mermaids by the dozens to satisfy the public mm-hmm. interest mm-hmm. in creatures at freak shows and things like that. P.T. Barnum, including, did this. His is absolutely terrifying. Thank God there I are think no I've pictures seen of, it. of it. It's like, or I didn't see a picture. I saw a drawing of it. It's it was, scary. It was called the Fiji Mermaid, and it was one of his most popular attractions. It was a half monkey, half fish corpse attached together, and people believed it was a mermaid. And the article I read that was like, no one in a modern context would ever believe now that that's a mermaid, but people were so busy looking for something like really spectacular spectacular that they were like absolutely that's a mermaid but it is oh my god it's horrific there is a temple in fukuoka japan that is said to house the remains of a mermaid um its bones were preserved at the insistence of a priest who believed the creature had come from the legendary palace of a dragon god at the bottom of the ocean which Mm -hmm. i don't like the bottom of the ocean but if there's a dragon god down there that's cool that's really (laughs) cool and the bones have been on display there for 800 years. <gasps> and it's like a protected temple, which I think is really cool. And no, it's protected, so no one can actually do an experiment on Anytime the bones. Anytime I hear things, like, we live in a country that's, like, not even a 300 child. years old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a anytime I hear things, like, 800 years ago, I'm like, what? The, that, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that uh, unbelievable? Yeah. So, like I said, it was most likely that these people were seeing manatees. Another popular theory is that they were seeing dugongs. I don't know what those are, and I didn't want to look it up because I was afraid I'd be scared. Um, I'm assuming there's some sort of fish. D-U-G-O-N-G? Yeah. They would swim around. These They were known to swim around the former Syrian and Babylonian empires. Um, so, it's It's, it's quite... like a whale. Little okay. whale. Yeah. Okay. So, it's quite likely that's yeah. what they were seeing. Um, and then the mm-hmm. they were just tired and... Uh, craving female attention so then they were like inventing these mermaid stories historians believe the poor reputations of mermaids came from the habit of sailors to swim too close to shore to follow strange creatures that they'd never seen before Mm -hmm. Um, and then they would run aground so that's how it began with these sailors being like oh we're running aground trying to follow strange things so then it became like well don't follow the mermaids or something like that Mm -hmm. otherwise they'll they'll lure you to a place you weren't supposed to be and then the myth kind of just evolved from there into these mythical creatures that were trying to drag you to the bottom of the ocean when actually it started as a warning from sailors to not, like, run your boat too close to the shore trying to mm, follow mm-hmm. things. And that's kind of how they evolved. Okay. There are still the occasional mermaid sightings today, although there's no evidence that mermaids exist or that that's biologically possible. <laughs> um, there was a sighting in Israel in 2009 and in Zimbabwe in 2012, um, but no sightings have ever had any verifiable evidence and there hasn't been one since. Okay. You haven't seen that docu-series, H2O, Just Add Water? <laughs> I have. Pretty convincing. Oh, I didn't know it was a docu-series. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that is what I have to say about mermaids. Nice. That's fun. Yeah. I, I really wanted to be a mermaid as a kid. Me too. I mean, like, I watched The Little Mermaid. I loved it, you know? I swam around my pool with my feet tied together <laughs> trying to, like... <laughs> I would like do it with like a hair tie, not like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't actually tie it together, but I would swim like it. Yeah. You can buy mermaid tails. Like that's the thing now. Yeah. And there are like resorts you can go to where you like pay to like take mermaid classes and just like live as a mermaid. Not you don't like sleep in the water, but like you can like spend your days as a mermaid. If that's what adults want to do with their free time. If that's what makes you happy. It's their life, you know. Yeah, whatever you need. Whatever you need. I don't think, of all the mythical creatures, I don't think I would want to be a mermaid. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I think I'd rather be a fairy. Yeah. Or a witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay, that is everything we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Podcast. You can check out our website, I'veBeenWondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I'veBeenWonderingPodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to put it on our show. Sarah? Yeah? We've... 
We've already established this, but we're curious about the guillotine. Okay. Can you tell me about it? I would love to. You know I love history. Yeah. Especially morbid history. Mm-hmm. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? It's really different. This is a note in our notes. This is a note in our notes, and I don't know what it means, and I, I need I need to finally ask you this. What is the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? <gasps> I'm so excited. I'm so excited to tell you. Okay, great. I can't wait to learn more. My high school English teacher brought it up frequently. I've never heard of this. <laughs> so this will be thrilling. That's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>